about build an environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. Welcome back, loved ones, to another episode of the Everyday Educators Podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest. Jeremy with the always beautiful, Chi-Town rapping, melanated, moisturized, and magnificent. I love alliteration. Miss Nay, how are you? I am so tired, but I'm good. It's okay. We're going to make it through. And as always, if you're listening, you can catch us every Saturday on 1921radio.com and everywhere where you get your podcasts. Everyday Educators, and don't forget to ask, please. Hit that like and subscribe on YouTube. And the same thing with socials. Now today, <clears throat> we got something special for y'all. We not only have a healer, we have a musician, a part-time comedian. We have the black version of House. Today, we have a real-life medical doctor, on the Everyday Educator Podcast, we have Dr. Luther Walls of the Amman Health Center on the show, y'all. Thank you, Luther, for being here. How you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little sore from my run, but I'm, I'm feeling good. See, you already better than You got us. up and ran? Every Saturday. Okay, you do it once a week. I do it more than once a week, but um, on Saturday, I run with an amazing group of individuals, Black Chicago runners. Been my run family for about a year. Um, got me ready for all the runs that I did this year, all the races. So shout out to them, keeping me alive, healthy. That's amazing. Top that day. Look at I that. I know. I gotta do <laughs> Look better. Look at that. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Um, so for our check-in question, as you all know, I'm sure everyone here ran right to it. Nicki Minaj dropped her Pink Friday to yesterday. So my question what artists are you waiting for to drop a new album? Ooh. That's a good one. <laughs> good question. That's what um, I like. See? I'll be working hard on this. I really I want to hear Jasmine give us something something new. I'm ready. I've been listening to hotels for like every day, basically, <laughs> ever since it came out. But I want to, I always love hearing an artist grow from album to album. Same. Um, and I feel like she really hit a beautiful peak on this one. I love her earlier work. I love, honestly, like everything that she's put out. But I was, there was something unhinged about this album. So I just want to see what else she's been working on because the vocality is just, it's getting more crazy and more insane. And I'm like, there's, what else do you have in you? Mm, that's a great one. What about you, Nay? It's a hard question, but I think I'm gonna go with uh, Cole. I'm ready for. I'm a, a big Cole fan. Um, I'm ready for another album. I don't know if I'll ever get it, but if he is ever so inclined, I'm here. And we thought we never get a three stacks album, and look at what we got. So, Lord willing. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> You know, I was going back and listening to the old John Legend mm. before he was a faithful husband. <laughs> and 
his first two albums was just like cheating songs, but they were fire. We don't. Uh, we don't have to know. You don't. What? What's yeah, that she song? don't have to know. She, she don't have to know. She don't have to know is a hit. Again, another again. Too many. So I need. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm encouraging him to cheat on Chrissy, but I do need him to like tap into. You know, tap back into that kind of vibe, and give us you know something a little more sultry and not so poppy. So my next question for you all is, do you know how to play spades? Yeah. Okay. See? All right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Point. Two points on the board for you guys. All right. So where did you learn? Where did y'all learn how to play spades? Like, when I think I was like 16 or 17, um, I still, even at that age, got the shame of like, you black and you don't know how to play spades. Um, but thank God I'm a fast learner. Um, <laughs> so very quickly I was like, I watched for a couple rounds and I said, okay, okay, let me see if I got it. First one, I think I reneged and I was like, okay, I'll never do that again. Cause they talked about me like a dog. Um, but I, I learned from my mistakes. So after that, I said, okay, give me one more, one more chance. And after that we won. So, okay. oh man, that's I had to a redeem myself. I redeemed testimony. My <laughs> all right see you can't have a testimony without a test all right all right what about you nate what'd you learn how to play i learned in sixth grade okay. i had a math teacher i don't know if this is good or bad i had a math teacher that was like doing a unit kind of like on like speed um dice like the whole like and so he threw spades in there and taught us all how to play spades and so i got a little rusty over the years because i didn't play for a while um but recently i redeemed myself i was in california with my in-laws and i um me and my partner won so yeah look at that i feel like i always knew how to play it just i learned like my mom taught me very early mm. like if you're gonna be sitting here then you're gonna have to learn how to play um, so, but it, it might've been second grade, something around that time, Dang. pretty early, which brings us to our next segment, actual factual. And that's where we have a conversation about something going on in the news. So this semester at Harvard university, students, Aaliyah Gary and Chelsea Grain Jefferson held the first spades clinic for 50 of their classmates. Um, before the students left for Thanksgiving break. Now, this story comes uh, to us via Dante Ramos of Blavity.com. Hopefully, I pronounced his last name right, or Ramos. Mm -hmm. So, Gary and Jefferson were inspired to host this clinic after being asked by fellow students to teach them how to play in the embarrassment some people feel when admitting they do not know how to play spades, such as yourself. Um, so Jefferson is quoted in saying, this is one of the few intergenerational activities and experiences that you can really share with your parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles. Now, what I want to ask you all is, can you think of any other activities, traditions or experiences that may have been like more common, you know, in like the black youth development when you were growing up that you don't really see today? 
Ooh, that we don't see today. Mm-hmm. I guess the first one that comes to mind for me is like going to church. Like, yeah, it was. We went to church every single Sunday for like years straight, and I just like you just didn't do that. Like, yeah, and like other people that I knew, even though like we were Catholic and I didn't know a lot of uh, Catholic other Catholic families or Catholic kids outside of my own church. The kids at my school, at a public school, like, they also, like, we would talk about, like, oh, yeah, I, I have to get up and go to church. Like, every, it just felt like at that time, mm-hmm, everybody, mm-hmm. like, went to church. Like, you just. You went somewhere. You, yeah. yeah, you went somewhere on Sunday morning. Um, or Saturday, and, you know, shout Saturday, out to my seven-day yeah. events out there. Um, But now it just doesn't. Yeah. Like that. I mean, I will fall on the sword. I do not go to church regularly anymore, but that is like the first thing that I think of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, a definitely, that's a real good one. I don't know if I'm going to top that one because I think you know, I've played at a few different churches around the city, and I think everyone is, every church that I've played at is really struggling with trying to draw more like younger folks, millennials the Gen Zers, like, it's just hard. Um, like, I know, I I grew up uh, Pentecostal Kojic, so, like, Ooh. yeah, my granddad was a pastor, so I was at church all the time, all the time. Oh, but, right, like, my, my parents were revolutionary when they started to be like, are y'all coming to church? And we were, like, teenagers. But now I feel like it's just, like, kids don't come, or if they come, then they're not engaged for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, cell phones, tablets, whatever, and it's just um, they don't have kids choir. You know, I did I did all that stuff. So I think the church one is a, a big one because um, when you do see folks come to church, it, it's very they look very othered. They feel very othered. You can see it. It's very like I don't get what <laughs> I don't get what this is. It's definitely hard to find that common ground. Even going on dates, being like, "Hey, go to church!" Like, I know we never went. So yeah. Okay. Um, some of the other like cultural identifiers that I like wrote down were like group dates, like meeting at the mall. Like, you know, as a shorty, you would just like meet you and your three homies would meet up with your girl and her two friends. And you don't see that. You don't see little girls playing double Dutch. Spades, obviously speed. I just wrote that on there. And another one is bid with like my mother taught me how to play bid with but like she got to keep teaching me because none of my <laughs> friends, well, none of my friends play. So it would be like a four year gap between like I have a session. I'm like, okay, I remember now I play, mm-hmm. and then like four years later, something like you know how to play beer with. I'm like, damn, I forgot by now, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so one uh, last thing that the article highlighted was the intentionality intentionality that Gary and Jefferson had around curating the clinic. Um, they played black music and even had it catered by a local black business so that the students could connect the learning of space to like the broader black experience. So shout out to those sisters for doing that. Keeping it black at Harvard. Yeah. All right, Dr. Walls. Now you finna go through a pop quiz. Here we go. Pop quiz, Nate. Now, Nate, I I put some new questions up, so you got it. You got it pulled up. 
Yeah, but I don't know if hold on. You got me um off guard. I know. See it's always something new. I see. We had a doctor, so you know I had to you know, I had to do you had to do something different. Why I feel like this question about be insane. <laughs> I mean, you know me, Luther, so it would be just, you know, straightforward, right? I guess. It's no, <laughs> <laughs> nothing gotcha, no gotcha questions. Yes. And God is good. All right. <clears throat> I'll kick it off. So, Dr. Walls, who mm-hmm. would play you in your life story? Ooh. I'm about to say something real stupid. Um, I, w- I would go Jamie Foxx. I'm going to go g- give me Jamie. Not because I look like Jamie, not because he's at all near my age, uh, but he's probably closer to my height. Um, and he's, I feel like Jamie, he's just one of the most talented artists, musicians that like, I feel like people do not give Jamie his respect. And I, 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 I would trust him. I would trust him to play mm-hmm. all the stuff that has happened in my life. I think he would do a really, really good job music wise, like medicine wise. I think he could capture my personality uh, really well. I would go Jamie. He's the most talented black man ever. So I think so. <laughs> Describe yourself in one word. One word, y'all. Questions are harder than med school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, flexible. Nice. One subject you would like to learn more about? Cars. I I really should know a lot more. My dad, my older brother, big car guys. I like luxury vehicles. Let something happen to my vehicle, though, and I'm calling them every single time. And I, I do feel bad at my grown age that I still can't change a tire, but we're going to cut that out. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not cutting that part out. You'd be gonna, surprised, I'm gonna, though. I'm going to put an echo on there like, <laughs> can't do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin or the Fresh Prince? This oh, Fresh Prince. Yeah. Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince is easy for me. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Best concert you've been to? I I gotta give it to Beyonce for this Renaissance concert. Um only right. Three hours. Her voice didn't crack. She didn't look tired. That was her singing. It wasn't background. Like I, I was blown away at her. I said, like, "This, this is why she's the queen." I get it. I understand. I respect. I'm gonna have to get Beyonce. Nice. Okay, Beyonce, cool. <laughs> the Temptations movie or the Five Heartbeats? This is also hard. Uh, I think I'm going to go five heartbeats. There you go. There you go. What has been your favorite age so far? 
I think this one, 29. Okay. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Money. Next question. <laughs> stop playing. Stop playing. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> easy. See, I told you the easy questions. Where's one place you like to visit? Um, I really have been for years been meaning to get to Barcelona. Mm. Um, but it's like every time I want to do it, something comes up. Um, I was going to go right after med school and then we had a whole pandemic. Um, it's been a whole lot of stuff. Every time I try something bad happens. <laughs> so we'll see if it ever happens. That was me and John Legend concerts for years. I, something always will pop up, but why Barcelona? Um, I think we, so like I speak Spanish, um, my <laughs> hold on Spanish. let's pause let's pause let's look at the jealousy in nay's face <laughs> now did you grow up speaking spanish um i kind of i started early like neither of my parents are bilingual um i mm -hmm. just had an interest in languages um and spanish kind of stuck um so i i pushed and took spanish class actually seriously in like junior high high school um college um but in junior high my teacher like had done like a stayed in barcelona for a long time so a lot of the classes that we like cultural classes were about different things in barcelona in spain like all different regions all the different music food etc um i probably know more about spain sometimes about than like u.s things honestly um and then like it was reinforced in high school had a teacher that was from Barcelona, so she was heavy on the Barcelona energy. I'm like, I just need to get there. Okay. Time. Don't be too jealous, Nay. All right. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> if you could be any animal, what would it be? Uh, a giraffe. Um, hmm. Cause nobody really messes with giraffes like that. Like you, like you can, but you probably shouldn't. Cause one, one bad move is over. Okay. That's real. If you could bring back one TV show for one more season, everyone in their prime, what show would you pick? Oh, this is tough. Um, there's two that came to mind. Um, All right, give us the two, give us the two. Living single, um, and probably half the world is going to disagree. Um, the Parkers, I We're love the Parkers. The Parkers. Do, do, um, do. I was watching even like yesterday. I love the part that Netflix putting the Parkers on was a plus. That was for you. Me. That, that was, was for, for me. You. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you were to write a book, what would it be about? Um, probably like, I'm, well, I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna say racism in medicine, medicine. Um, mm. cause I think <laughs> there's just so much to dig into and so many different facets of it and so many different ways you see it and experience it. Um, some more subtle than others, but it's a trip. Medicine is a trip. Um, 
I made that face because I was reading this book called The White Coat. I never finished it. It's here, so I probably should circle back. But it's about that exact thing about this black doctor and like even the smallest instances. He's like, no, nah, that's racist. Like everything here is racist. The whole, the whole system, honestly. That's every system. But we can we we can have a whole nother podcast on that. But that that's a book I like to read. Nate, can you show us your nails, please? I just need the people to see. They popping. Okay. They popping. Okay, I'm loving it. I'm just, you know, just so you know what we do, we stepping out here, everyday educators. You heard? All righty. So we are going to move on to talk about the life and times of Baby Luther. <laughs> so if we brought all of your teachers in a room, what type of student would they say you were? Black. Um, let me stop. Let me be serious. Uh, that would be part of it. But I mean, I was I was a good I was a good student. Um, smart, but like also for the most part, I felt like I did a good job of like not going too far and like making jokes because I'm like we can laugh have a good time but I'm also not trying to you know upset the teacher cause a ruckus in the classroom because I could I was kind of talkative mm. but I knew when it cut it I knew when it cut it off I never gained that skill but you know it got it got worse as I got older ah okay that tends to happen yeah <clears throat> okay so let's go back to the mean streets of Orland Park <laughs> Well, you know, a young Luther was getting it straight out the mud, you know? Mm. <laughs> Tell us about your time at, at Prairie Elementary and Jerling Junior High. I'm always interested in you middle school, middle school folks. You know, that's just like a fascinating world to me. So t tell us about how, how it was. I mean, so uh, to, for those that don't know, Orland Park, South Suburb, predominantly white, like, very, very much white, um, with speckles of color, um, meaning like black and brown folks. I can remember the few families that were probably Arabic, um, Latinx, um, few Indian and like a few black and that, like, that was really it. So I, even though I made the joke about like what my teachers say, and they said I was a black student because I really often was the only black student in class um i don't feel prairie you know kindergarten i was there kindergarten through third grade and race never really was a big influencer i felt like in how i was treated or responding to um although looking back probably it was i just didn't realize it um because i was a good kid because i was a smart kid i never had issues and because I often was the only black student in my classes there was not necessarily an easy comparison to see what it looks like if someone didn't meet those um, expectations um, of whiteness and what and academic excellence and and all and the elitism that really occurs in um, from an early age in, in education um, so prairie was fine um, started like that is when I think uh, second or either third grade had something called cluster as a small group of kids um, that was basically like oh 
y'all are smart. We're going to put you in kind of an accelerated like learning program. So like that was a start of pre-honors or whatever that they kind of going forward. Um, getting a junior high start to encounter maybe one or two other black kids and and that again that's pretty much it the rest of classes probably 95 percent white i might have had one um one or two hispanic kids in my class and that was really it um so i think that's when i st first started to be like something is happening but i i don't have the the language yet or the um identity independence the confidence to like really remark on it yet but i like noticed um this other girl in certain classes she was also in honors but struggled a little bit more and um i would say didn't seem to fit in as easily um and so very much was other ridiculed um and it was like hard to protect or step up because I was like, what is like, why are you doing these things? Not recognizing um, the privilege I had from starting off in Orland as opposed to starting elsewhere and then moving to that area and then trying to get caught up in certain ways, um, not realizing that was a barrier, um, but basically was able to get through honors do different sports fine and it was um it was fine we found my group of people the only black dude in the you know group because it was most of the kids that were in honors like we we're all in the same classes um, hold on hold on hold on hold on because you said something that why i gotta ask were you the michael jordan of orland park no you, you no, played no. a couple <laughs> no 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 i oh, okay. i we want we don't have to talk about this much but <laughs> I, i'm athletic don't get me wrong i'm athletic basketball though I just imagine like Bill Russell, it like me. it skipped me. Oh, okay. All so right. badly. That's it okay. skipped me real badly. <laughs> <laughs> it is my, uh. it's one of my black shame. It skipped me so bad. Uh, somebody at the gym, I was at the gym like a month ago. It was like, hey, like we need, some, we need somebody else to play. Like you where you play. He's like, you want to come join us? I was like, it really hurt. I had to be like, nah, man, it, I, that's not, that's not me. Like, it really hurt. He's like, man, you're a good player. Like, <laughs> I wish, <laughs> I wish. But if I step out here, y'all be like, get, get this man out of here. I'm not about to get roasted at my grown age of almost 30 years old. No way. Okay. All right. Well, we can, like you said, we can speed past that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was fine because because when you do well, when you exceed expectations, um, then oftentimes you get this like kind of golden child type of treatment. Um, and so that's how I felt like my experience was. Now, as I got older, probably seventh, eighth grade, I think as I became more aware seeing this other kid I felt like I still had something to prove though of like, I have to be, I have to be great to show you that we can be great. Mm -hmm. Like that's where that, that's when I think that mentality started to really kick in of like, it's riding on you because they, mm -hmm. there's not other folks to represent or to prove. And the fact of the matter is that like, 
some of these folks are racist. Do you, can I just jump in and ask a question? Did you feel like you were the, like the diversity, like when people would bring that up, it was like, oh no, but we have Luther and he's great. And he's the top student and an athlete and all the things. Like, do you think like you were used by your school or maybe like by your community in that way? Um, Probably probably more on the academic side like mm-hmm. definitely junior high high school I've, I've i've felt that way um even with like the um what is it called the like you know when you're about to graduate not the accolades but the um like the like the valedictorian superlative no the superlatives that people oh. like oh like, well, it's like too like all mine were like i mean they were nice but like they were all academic related um and no, I, 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 we did great stuff. Um, we went to, me and a couple other folks went to like a National Science Bowl. Um, we like got, I think we got first place at like something regional, like Argonne Laboratory. So like, I mean, there were things that were worth being celebrated and acknowledged. Um, but I don't think it became as like much as, uh, hey, this person exists um until i got um older because i don't think diversity was in as mm-hmm. much as it is in now yeah. as far as like celebrating and like it being a priority mm-hmm. um for academic institutions okay so you mentioned high school and you went to carl sandberg uh, a little familiar with you guys on the track side uh, so tell us about your experience there, and is this where you like started thinking about you wanted to be a doctor? Yeah, um, I, so I, I had played a. I think I actually am for my kindergarten yearbook. I said when I grow up, I want to be a doctor so I can buy a Corvette. Um, uh... And I have a friend that still brings it up. Um, I bounced around with some other. Wait, right, where's, where's the Corvette? Listen, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't expect life to be as expensive as it is. As um, inflation was much infl- lower. Yeah, back in the back in the nineties. <laughs> but um, maybe one day. I'm not gonna give up hope just yet. Um, but I like played around. Like maybe I would do something stats related. Maybe I'll do something science related. I thought about law for a second, then I was like, you don't like to read that. Like like that kind of stuff that much like maybe for a moment but not that badly um so kind of still have basically said all right we're going to stay along this like medicine like track um that i was on um high school also not so i would say like my freshman year oh god and i'm still bad at it um if i ever have kids i can't help them at all it's like one or two classes i can think about that like i really just struggled I cannot do geometry to save my life. Um, I think it's literally one of the reasons why I couldn't be a surgeon because spatial stuff just doesn't make sense to me. Um, like people are like, "Oh, can you wrap?" I'm like, "Listen, I, you don't want me. You don't want me to do. I can do procedures, but you don't want me to do a whole a whole surgery on you. You will not survive it." Um, and then like calculus was my other one that really got me. But I mean, high school was fine. Um, Academic wise, I'm not gonna say I skated through things because I feel like that is 
um, presumptive, but like, you know, I would have to study, I'd have to do the work, but nothing, I didn't have significant barriers in, in real, in most of my classes. Um, and again, same basically core group of people, families I was familiar from, elementary, junior high, high school, we were all in the same classes. So it was like going to go hang out with my friends when we just have, so just so happen I have to learn um, every day. Uh, still not as many black students. We started to get more black students, but um, the way Orland is set up is that there's Orland Park proper and then um, Orland Hills just south of it. Um, and that was where a lot of folks from uh, various parts of Chicago moved to. And those were like pre predominantly black spaces, but none of them really were in honors classes except for the one student um, that I knew from junior high. So it was like me and her, and she wasn't in all honors classes or all AP classes. She was in some of them and that was it. So like, again, I, I was just very, very comfortable for the most part um being in predominantly white spaces because i had no other choice um and if you never are like in classes to you know because like it's hard like hard to meet other black students if you never are around them so i very i felt i always felt like kind of this i really wish i could connect with you all but i don't know how to not like, I don't know how to force an interaction. I don't, I don't want to force it because I know like if I, anyone tries to force an interaction with me, even now I'd be like, hey, you know, like <laughs> I'm not really trying to, we don't have to do this. No one's making us do this. Um, and so I still feel like there were tiny things. Like if we had like a music class that were like, there was no honors option. Like I might meet a couple of folks and we would talk a little bit, but everyone is, you know, and we had all known each other for most of the years. So everyone basically had their their people and it wasn't like a obvious in with anybody, which is like, oh, oh, hey. Um, and that was like the, the gist of it. Um, but academics were fine, you know, played tennis fine. And, and it was, it was cool. Um, I could yeah. see you as a, as an Arthur Ashe type. I could see that. <laughs> okay. Um, so then you get to the University of Chicago. And uh, I want to ask, could it have been any other school? And what ultimately, you know, made you decide to go there? Um, so I had actually thought for like years, I was going to Northwestern and going to Northwestern. I actually got into Northwestern. Um, and I had visited Chicago the week before because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna apply, see what happens. And I was like, okay, cool. And I, I, like, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and I think the next week I went with my parents to go visit Northwestern and I was like, I'm just not feeling the attachment here. Um, and you Chicago just happened to give me a little bit more money. Uh, so like my dad was disappointed cause he was like, do y'all have sports at East Chicago? I mean, yes, but kind of not. Um, cause he was really looking forward to going to like all the big 10 games. Um, but part of it was just like, and I think this has carried me through for a lot of decisions. It's like a gut feeling of like, nah, this is where I'm supposed to be. I know this is where I thought I was supposed to be, but this is where I'm actually supposed to be. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I landed there. Okay. Uh, but so 
Well, most people listening would have heard about you, Chicago, because it is, you know, world-renowned. Shout out to Obama, all the greats that went there. But I think I know only one other person who actually attended the school. So, like, talk to us about, like, I know somebody really well who went to, like, lab, who kind of grew up, but she ultimately mm-hmm. didn't go to the university. So, like, how was it being in Chicago? I know they run High Park and... Like kind of being in that campus, but mm-hmm. not so campusy. You know, feel mm-hmm. like how was it as a student there? Um, hard. It was really, really, really hard. Um, I think that like, U Chicago is definitely a place that I associate with a lot of like struggle. Not, I'm not even say yeah, struggle with like socially, struggle with, like identity, struggle with like. So, uh, like a social consciousness. Um, like one of the things I knew first when I started was like, I'm yes, I'm okay. I'm going pr- with the intention of being pre-med, but like I want to be really intentional about um, being involved in groups that cater to community, ideally in a like a medical or health-wise way. Um, so I sought that out, volunteered in some clinics, uh, La Rabita, um, Chicago. And, and explain to the folks, what, you know, what Larabita is. Yeah, so Larabita is a uh, children's hospital on the south side. Um, actually, that's where I meet up still to run. Um, but oh. they deal with really, really um, sick children. Um, lots of complex cases. Lots of um, kids with genetic disorders, um, a lot of sickle cellers uh, will go there, lots of different handicaps. And so you're, it was like really the first place where I heard the term and like saw it really played out, like the social health determinants, so all those other things that go into what makes someone healthy or not, um, or their ability to take care of themselves, housing, utilities, um, having transportation, um, whether it be public or anything to just get to their appointments, um, access to food, childcare resources. Um, and so you're seeing all of this hit and you're seeing mostly black folks. Um, and it's about seven to 10 minute drive from the Chicago campus proper. And it's really night and day where you can truly see this affluent bubble compared to all of a sudden this place places that seem a lot more under-resourced so i'm sitting there black 18 19 year old like yo this is messed up um like i knew it was bad but like i didn't know it was this bad um especially going in after the docs had seen folks and they're identifying these different social health determinants and we're supposed to be trying to help connect them uh to these different resources and there's nothing i'm gonna say there's nothing there's so few resources for child care on the south side there's there's not a lot of things we can do to help with housing um to be completely honest it's like i mean hopefully section eight will open up open up was like sometimes what we would be telling folks um utilities was a little bit better because there were different programs to help with that but Transportation was hard. These different applications are hard. Um, 
I also did it like right when the ACA rolled out. So did like a lot of insurance and like food assistance applications, even that was complicated. Um, and you still saw barriers with language. You saw barriers with um, documentation. You saw barriers with just, again, if people can't get to the clinic, they can't call these different places. They can't get to these different offices to get things turned in. Then, mm-hmm. then you still can't actually reap any of the potential benefits. That's if they end up saying you qualify or not. Um, so I struggled being at UChicago because the way it was painted is like, we're really expanding and trying to um, help pour into the community. And I'm like, that's not what this is. Um, Y'all are trying to get folks out. Um, You are trying to raise uh, and like draw different kind of people than the folks that are surrounding. There was a lot of racist things said by Woodlawn, which is like right south of East Chicago. And it really was kind of, it was casually stated, but but there's like clear bias with it as far as like, this are, this is UChicago campus. And while people might not say you can't go past those boundaries it was like if the idea really kind of circulated that if you went south you were gonna get robbed and unfortunately like folks did sometimes get robbed now obviously if you're walking around with a whole bunch of stuff it doesn't matter where you're at like you look like you got things to be robbed like you're gonna increase your risk potentially for being robbed but it was really like if you go south into this poorer community then you're gonna even you're unsafe. That was yeah. the so I struggled as a black person at mm-hmm. Chicago. No, for sure. And just so it's very interesting. It's very interesting what like how you're explaining it. Um because there there are invisible walls, right? As a Chicagoan, like you know High Park ain't for you. Like High Park is not for people from Chicago there's like the 11 black people who like from High Park and then it's like that's the universities right Mm -hmm. um and just a little bit of history that I learned this year south of I want to say 35th or 22nd street one of that like historically that was High Park all of that was High Park Hmm. and then that was chartered into Chicago as Chicago was expanding right Mm. and then it just feels like High Park is trying to take their part of the city back as they expand in both directions you know Um, and so you do have the consolidation of resources in High Park which eliminates it from being accessible to the areas right out that that surround it you know Um, and like People hear about O Block. That's like a popular term now, but that's like a project that's literally the next block over, like right. Yeah. Um, the the dividing line is the the rail the the L, and if you on the other side of that, like it is extreme poverty, and then if you on this side of it, it's like very lush and lavish. So, um, 
Jeremy, explain. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was no, going no, to no. just say, explain to the people what the L is. That's a oh, very so, Chicago thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, like, we don't have subways. So, we have the elevated rail system shortened as the L. So, they are up maybe 20 feet above ground and they, you know, kind of circulate the city. So, that's the L. Um, but no, the, so that so that's it. I, I and and I am seeing the parallels, like this the those societal factors, those socioeconomic factors that are like compounding. So it's not just that you don't have access to healthcare. It's not just that you don't have access to you know the internet and and food. And it's like you don't have access to any of it. And mm-hmm. so that does impact your health and the ability to get healthy, but it also impacts your education and your ability to be educated. So even if your child was granted a scholarship to go to university lab, but you live in Roseland, how are you going to get there? Yeah. So it's not just that I can't get in. It's not just like, oh, my child can't get healthcare because, okay, cool. We can let you in this program. Um, at Larbita, but it's like I can't get there. Yeah. You know, so it's all those things. So thank you for you know kind of highlighting that. Appreciate yeah. that. Um. So I want to kind of push, move forward to like your medical school experience. Is medical school as difficult as advertised? And if so. What was the most challenging for you? Um, I took one anatomy class and I said, no, no, thank you. I mean, I, I'm not going to say medical school is easy. Is that, I mean, that's a lie. Like, I'm not going to say it at all was easy. What the biggest, the biggest thing that made medical school easy for me is because my class was so black. Um, and so like we all basically still talk to each other. There were in a class of 160, um, there were I think 30 black students. Um, so you look around the room and it's melanin everywhere. It's, you don't have to explain for probably some of us the first time in our lives, like you have this ability the code switch that you are so ha- like used to having to do in order to fit in to seem accomplished to seem like you belong like you don't have to do it because there's just a gang of these black doctors black soon-to-be doctors um who can who get it who understand the issues of coming from uh maybe under resources uh under-resourced childhoods or communities, that feeling of having sometimes like your success really being important for your like family success, uh, your community success, um, the pressure of how much it took to get there, the like how isolating it was in that path. Um, I mean, like before college, I started to know some, but like lots of people, I mean, like there's a only a few people would be like, yeah, I actually know a black doctor, let alone have been taken care of by a black doctor. Um, so having that group was was key for me. Um, and 
my like best friends came from med school. Um, like there were two folks that I studied with literally every single day for probably two years straight until we got split up into clinicals. Um, the only time we might not see each other is on a Saturday. And then sometimes we still see each other on a Saturday. And like we were, it wasn't forced. We didn't always have to like talk and like we were productive. We held each other accountable. We laughed, we like cried if it was hard, um, but it made med school so much more fun, so much more doable. Cause I was like, y'all, this is, these are my people. These are gonna be my people. We still meet up every year. Um, these are people I can give, can vent to and say stuff about what I'm experiencing and they're gonna get it. Um, and often at times I think in academic institutions, you know, the lot, the resilience was the word that had come up more recently as, um, as far as like, which I always get mad at when I hear it, like, stop telling me to be resilient. Like, yes, it's hard, but like, also does it have to be this hard? Um, but like, they helped me to be resilient when I didn't want to be, um, and vice versa. So I had a great time. Like I met school, my favorite, my favorite schooling experience, honestly. And it's also like, you know, you've been, I went straight through. So I started med school when I was what, 22. So it's been how many years that I was studying to just get to do the, and really learn and focus on the things that I really wanted to do. And then I'm, you know, 30 years when you, most of us start their clinical rotations. Um, and so I was finally getting to do what I've been wanting to do for almost 20 years. So I had a, I had a great time. I felt like that made it easier because it was no longer schooling and learning and projects about stuff I didn't want to do. It was stuff that it like, oh, this matters. This is going to actually teach me something. Now, some of it, you know, everyone has like the kind of generic classes that you have to do because you have to do and it's not really super important. But most of it, I mean, like second year onwards was all stuff I'm, I'm using now. Um, so like the application for it made it really easy for me to, to enjoy it, even though on a Saturday, I'm, some Kojic, um, on a Saturday, I was studying sometimes like 14 hours <laughs> and like, that's, that's where Sip and Saver came in. Cause I was like, I can't, I cannot study at home. Shout out to that. Sip and Saver. Um, so it sounds like what I'm hearing is that like you found community in med school, um, and further found community and sip and savor which jeremy and i share that with you because we have also found community in sip and savor so shout out to sip and savor specifically 43rd yes um, but what i'm also hearing to that to that point is the utility in your education mm -hmm. so it was like it took you 20 years to get to a point where it's like all right this matters and which you had to take the geometry so you know that you're not going to do that. But that, so that's important, like being exposed. No, it is. Yeah. You know, but also it's like, you know, if I'm not going to really work with shale and sandstone and quartz, like, do I need to take this geology class? No. I don't think so. Can I also ask, like, through this journey, did you find like your bilingualism like showing up for you and like you being able to support some of the people that you ran into because you spoke Spanish or did like fluency come later in life? 
Um, definitely on volunteer experiences. It was actually, yeah, in college, it was the first time I really, outside of a Spanish class, actually tried to speak Spanish and like made myself apply it in like a real life setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you figure out, oh, like I really don't know. I, you know, there's certain words I never had to learn in school. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. we're not talking about application or social security card. Like, they don't teach you that in, in, in regular class. But like, those are like you start to acquire different words. And one thing that I thought that made it easier is because um, it's hard to understand how much like language is a barrier until you yourself are like, I am struggling to communicate with someone. Um, and so like, I think that had, that built a lot of empathy for me. Um, and also makes, helps me to advocate even now, like I speak Spanish probably 70% of the day at work. Um, but like it really kicked in because I was like, it's hard. Like you, you, you can't make someone learn a language. First of all, learning English, learning any language is hard. Learning languages is hard. Um, the different subject verbs, just having the vocabulary for different things is, is really, really hard. Um, and so it is a big, big component of advocacy for me. Um, it's a big thing of like, Hey, I'm trying, you're trying, like we got maybe like you speak a little bit English and for this part, I speak a little bit Spanish for this part. And like, we can, we're going to figure and work it out. Um, so it, it's a very humanizing experience. It's a very empathic experience. Um, it's a very useful skill. Um, Mm -hmm. it's also helps me, I think it has, it helped in learning how I learn. Um, which I, that's the biggest thing, like my takeaway from UChicago, forget like the struggle and all the racism and all the racist things that happened is that UChicago taught me how to learn and how to advocate for myself as a learner, which Mm -hmm. is probably the most important skill folks can have for when you're going, I think going towards like a graduate level degree is mm-hmm. how do you learn? If you don't know how you learn, like everything else is eight times harder. And I think that's where I saw other classmates struggle in med school is because they were trying a billion different things. And I was like, from day one, just about, I was like, I know what works for me. Um, and that made med school a lot easier, not because I didn't have the same quantity or difficulty in work, but because I wasn't trying to figure out how I learned and I always, yeah. I, I had come off my own, it was a pride thing before, cause remember like my whole thing was the whole black race is counting on you and you got to prove this to white people. That was like what I was trained in. And like for, I finally, I broke that in college cause it was like, bro, I am struggling. And I had like, if I want to get to the next stage, I need to humble myself. And, and it's not just about humility, but like, I didn't say, Hey, I don't understand this, break this down for me more. And this is particularly what I don't understand even learning how to ask questions was key. Um, and so like knowing then like people were ashamed to get a tutor. Like we had, like I'm grateful for Loyola. We are academic center for excellence, what they call it, like super helpful, help going over like test taking strategies, help going over, you can get a tutor, you'd have to pay any money. So like the, not being afraid to access those things and really yeah. seeing it as a component of advocacy rather than like a component of humiliation or struggle made med school a lot easier, more enjoyable for me. Um, and then also helped me pass that information backwards to folks that were either applying to med school, folks that were in a lower level um, for me at med school, 
plus third year or first, I'm like, listen, this is what you need to do. This is a better way to do it. And like, yeah, if you're not getting to this point, like you can give yourself one more test, but we're not gonna wait till the end of the end of the semester be like, ooh, I'm really don't know if I'm gonna pass. Like, okay, you get one, two tests maybe in the beginning. And after that, you gotta call it and say, Hey, I need the help, and that's okay. Let's yeah. set up a time. Um, so I think all those skills, even in language of like, I'm advocating for someone else taught me how to be a ad- better advocate for those that are around me in a lot of different areas, including myself. Yeah. I feel you on that. I also learned how I learned. I would say like relatively early, probably like my junior year of high school, it started to click like what worked best for me. And that really like carried me through college and grad school and ultimately like my career, like how I am able to learn aside from when Jeremy used to sit next to me and talk the whole time. That did not <laughs> But other than that, I have learned Listen, how to, don't how to blame learn. your shortcomings on me, okay? That wasn't, that. I had nothing to do with that. I was trying to help you out. Right, Luther? We sit there, mm-hmm. we productive when we in the shop? We we are. You definitely gotta, you gotta, <laughs> You got to keep your headphones in, though, because if you take them out, that's an invitation. That's a sign that you're taking a break. That's true. And then it's over. But look, see, but again, that is body language. You are communicating to me something. So, okay. But we're going to move on. Um, So what type of medicine do you practice? And kind of tell us a little bit about the Iman Health Center. Yeah. So I am a family medicine doctor. So what does that mean? Uh, primary care doctor. Um, what I like, uh, what I like, and what I liked about family medicine is that it's everything kind of all in one. Um, I knew pretty early on that surgery wasn't for me, um, so I don't do surgery at all. Great, that kept me out of the OR, and then kind of helped me to focus on what I liked. I like kids, but I knew I didn't want to exclusively see kids. Um, I like OB guy, but I knew I didn't want to be on call like that. Um, but I wanted to be able to do some of the procedures, women's health. Um, and then I like just internal medicine and like chronic and complex medical conditions. So I get to do all of that still, um, as part of my residency, I delivered, uh, babies, but I don't do that anymore. Um, praise God I can, um, people still make jokes about like, you know, something happens, you're gonna deliver my baby. I said, no, I'm not, I'm gonna call 911. You're going to the hospital. I'm not doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love my job because I, I still, my brain has to stay, I have to tap into all the things that I, I learned and like still be able to apply it. Um, so at Iman Health Center, it's a fairly qualified health center, which um, usually caters to folks that are underinsured, um, uninsured, and it's centered in the community. We're at 63rd in California, so just a little bit west of Inglewood, um, a little bit south of Chicago Lawn area, like right by Marquette Park. Um, so we see... Nay is so excited right now. That's a that's a neighborhood. <laughs> it is down the street from my beloved closed high school, Maria High School. So uh, Maria was on 67th in California. So okay. I that area. Super I got super you. Well. Um, so, yeah, you know, small world. Um, it is, it's exactly where I, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. I told people even on like my med school application, I was like, 
I want to take care of black and brown people, um, straight up. I'm not saying that other folks don't. I think everyone deserves good health care, but I'm like, oftentimes our black and brown folks are forgotten in that because um, other places may have more notoriety. Um, sometimes they even compensate a little bit better. Um, and I'm like, I didn't get into medicine to necessarily be a name in medicine, but I went into medicine to take care of the community. Um, so I see, if I had to break it down, it's probably like 40 to 50% um, Black or African-American, um, and then probably another 40% are Latinx. Um, and then the last like 10% or so it would be folks that identify as Arabic. Um, languages that we see the most common, English, Arabic, and Spanish. We have a lot of um, migrant patients right now um, because of what is that, which district is that? I'm trying to remember, but it's like kind of close to, what is that, 63rd and like racing, there's a police station or so, maybe a little bit more west, but um, that's where a lot of our migrant patients are coming from because they can either take the bus or walk. Um, and so it's it's great because I'm seeing seeing a lot of kids, um, I'm seeing a lot of adults, I'm seeing um, folks my age, I'm seeing folks middle age, I'm seeing older folks. Um, what I really like about Iman is the community aspect, um, and that we're a health center, but we're also tied to a not for profit not for profit organization. Um, and so that I feel like just gives a little bit different of a vibe to the healthcare center. Um, we have guys next door as part of our green reentry program, which is um, a program designed for those that are at risk, um, either have been incarcerated, at risk of being incarcerated, at risk for like gang violence or being um, victims of gang violence. Um, and it provides job training it's mandatory to participate in behavioral health activities as well. Um, so there's a component of therapy. And then a lot of the guys uh, will come over for like their healthcare. Uh, one of the things that I really have been happy to get more involved in is uh, part of like the healthcare lecture series with our green reaching program. Um, Cause I, I secretly like to talk um, I'm an introvert that low-key likes to talk about what I like to talk about and who I like to talk to. Um, outside of that, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, it's great because it's it's a lot of guys, some as young as 18, I think the one of the oldest guy, guys in the program is like in his 50s. But it's usually like 18 to 30s. We're talking mostly, the, it's because it's mostly men, not exclusively, but it's mostly men talking about basic health components. So I've talked about like sexually transmitted infections and um, PrEP and uh, we did something with like diabetes and cholesterol and high blood pressure. Um, and we're working on kind of redefining what that lecture series looks like. So I'm getting to see the people that I wanna see. I'm getting to speak the languages that I wanna speak. I'm still getting to do teaching. Um, and and hopefully if all goes according to plan we're going to start having more residents rotate through our clinic so i'll still be doing like more formal medical teaching 
Um, so I really get to maintain, if not strengthen, a lot of the skills that I've worked on and I thought were important um, in my medical career. Uh, so it's very, very, very diverse. And doing procedures, um, next one on IUDs, knee injections, taking off skin tags. Um, what else do I do? Removing toenails. Look at May's face. Look at her face. That's my favorite procedure. It's low-key kind of gruesome, but there is nothing more satisfying than when that toenail clips, like, detaches from this. Oh, I can't explain it. But it's the way people feel about pimples being popped. Look at Jeremy's face. The way people like to watch pimples being popped. I actually hate pimples being popped and, like, seeing boils and stuff pop, but that's how I feel about toenail removals. So I have to ask, under what circumstance would someone need their toenail removed? Um... Sometimes if like it's already, uh, sometimes if it's like a really bad infection, if we've been trying to treat it and like it's really not responding, a lot of times it's like cases related to trauma where some of it's already partially um, removed. There's not a lot of indications, but it's usually like trauma related, like smashed their foot, something really heavy fell on it. Um, sometimes sports injuries will happen that will mess up the toenail, like a lot of soccer players will. Mm. Uh, mess up their toenails. I think I've seen one person that does like dance and ballet and it got messed up. Um, but yeah, that's, I love a good toenail removal. I'll do that every single day if I could. So you see when it comes through like on the chart or whatever and you're like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so hyped. I'm like, this is going to be so good. Look at Jeremy's face. You know, we're not going to kink shame here, so... I don't actually like feet. <laughs> I actually cannot stand feet. Oh, come on, love... bro. You're so hypocritical. I'm, I'm, I am who I am. That's... <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to land this plane. Um, right now, there are many young people in the world who aspire to be a doctor such as yourself. So normally I would ask, you know, our guests, you know, what are some things that young folks could be doing um, and preparing themselves to kind of be where you are in the future. But for you, I'm going to ask for something a little more tangible. So say there's a high school student who is, uh, has a desire to be a doctor. What should they be reading or studying right now? to better prepare themselves? Honestly, I'm not gonna give you anything medical. Um, I think, and I'm gonna I'm a stay general. Um, I think you should read a lot about like race and the history of how race has played out in different structures and systems in America um because so many programs um and medical institutions are trying or at least in their labeling and mission statements are trying to include that component of like holistic care and trying to recognize the social context of medical practice um and if you come in there um with like yeah you're really really smart but you don't line up with mission statements, you're not going to be a good fit. And as someone who has interviewed a lot of students 
both for getting into med school and then at residency programs that's like the biggest thing is like yeah like their grades are really good but they can't tell me one why they want to be a doctor they can't tell me why they want to come here when we do take care of these type of people like you have to understand it and then hopefully once you've read it and you understand it then you go and experience it for yourself um with different volunteering opportunities not even necessarily in the clinic the folks that we actually find most interesting are a lot of folks like we want to see you have some clinical volunteer experience but it's usually the folks that have real life experiences outside of medicine that end up having the most depth and grounded answers because it it shapes their brain a complete different way yeah good and we're going to stick on the the oh you had something eh? I just have to ask this one question. Are you like your family's doctor? Like they're going in and they're like, uh-uh, I got to call Luther to verify what you're telling me. Yeah, but it's, it's funny because like, yes, they'll call me if they, of course, if they're concerned, if they're concerned about a friend, they'll call me. They'll listen to what I have to say for their friend, but I could be like, yeah, no, it's this. And they'll be like, mm, you know, I am think I'm gonna just do this instead. I'm so don't call me, don't call me and ask me and then not listen. <laughs> um, That's but yeah, real. Everyone calls me um, or texts me and it's fine. I'm I'm honored, honestly. Yeah, I know who to call if I need a toenail removed. Um, <laughs> all right, so final question, two parts. What is the greatest book you've ever read? And what is the last book you read? Oh, greatest book I've ever read. Um, I don't know. Greatest favorite is I really like. So growing up, I really like Charles Dickens. I really like A Tale of Two Cities, and I think I know he's so disappointed in that. And I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna tell you why I like it so much. Is because I feel like the more mess we see in society, the more I'm like, I get it. Like, the social class tension and the lack of awareness or concern for others is is it's so palpable right now, Um, and I feel that tension probably just be every day just because of where I'm working and like going from basically downtown area towards, you know, I got to get through Englewood and, I, and then I get it through um, all these different places. I'd be like, I see why people are mad. I see why there's people come and like are just angry before their appointment starts. It doesn't matter if we're on time or late. Like the anger is just built up from so much other stuff. And I, I get it. I'm like, I literally understand. We are so, I feel, we don't have a revolution at some point, but like, I just hope I'm, I'm all good. Um, the last book I read um, was actually written by friend, colleague, brother, met at UChicago. Um, it's called Behind the Hood uh, by Robert Eshman. Um, it was a look into how internet specifically has kind of changed how folks interact with race both on the side of protecting their racial identity and also how the rules of racism have changed and play out. Um, it was, what I think I liked about it so much is that like 
he did a really good job of just like keeping it simple. And I think when you start to get into like really academic topics, it's very easy to write at a high level, but I don't feel like you have to be this like graduate level, like master's student to get it. I feel like you could pick it up and read it and be like, oh, I get it. It's very, very easy to read. Mm -hmm. um, I actually really, really, really recommend it. I told him, I was like, you did your thing. I'm proud of you. <laughs> That's real. I'm going to just say this. I, I want to read that book. I'm going to have to look it up. But Charles Dickens, he'll spend two pages talking about a doorknob. And you like reading it. And you're like, all right, you're trying to hold. Now you holding on to that doorknob. Because you know that doorknob is going to mean something. And it don't mean anything. And every time I read Charles Dickens, it pisses me off. I'd be like, bro, you could have cut this book in half. You just describing things that don't matter. It's not an allegory. It's not foreshadowing. Not a metaphor for nothing. He just being mad descriptive. But that's my Charles Dickens take. <laughs> why is this and, such a fresh take? Like, why are you freshly irritated about this? <laughs> because I have strong opinions about things that don't nobody care about. So, you know. Um, <laughs> so that's a wrap. Thank you all for going on this journey with us. I want to thank Luther, Dr. Walls for being such an amazing guest. You know, we really appreciate you. Uh, before we go, is there anything else you want to highlight or kind of tell the people how they can get in touch with you, you know, the My Health Center? Yeah, um, definitely stop by. Come see us. Uh, we do have walk-ins. I work basically, not every day. Let me not lie. I'm mostly Monday through Friday, but... Um, it's nine to five and then Wednesdays, we're open from 10 to seven. We are on 63rd in California. It's a big sign. Um, you really can't miss us. Um, come in if you don't have a good primary care doctor, uh, come in, you should check in. Think about the last time you've been to see a doctor and I can tell you it's probably been too long. Mm. All right, take care. Can you just like here. one final tip, tell the people how often they should see a doctor? Yeah, so, um, the basic thing that I'll say, it kind of depends on the age and it depends on how, what conditions you have or don't have. Uh, as like a millennial, if you don't have a whole lot of things going on, um, probably once a year is okay. Um, as you get closer to 40, um, you might start coming a little bit sooner. Um, and the other time that you should go see a doctor is if you think you should go see a doctor. Um, yeah. If you're like something doesn't feel right or I just like have a internal something's telling me to go, you should go. Okay. Word to the wise. So until next time, keep teaching, keep learning, and keep loving y'all.